0: Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann.
1: Weekly, I might add, uh, sort of tailored after Paul Simon's song, Slip Sliding Away, right? So we're drift, drifting away, right? And the writer of the Hebrews says, listen, that's exactly what we shouldn't be doing, drifting away. God has called us to himself to be extraordinary, We think that this is written to the Jewish Christians in Rome that are undergoing probably some pretty serious distraction, some pretty serious uh, uh, persecution. And as they're going through this, the writer of Hebrews says, we've got to hang in. We've got to endure. We've got to make sure our lives count for Jesus. Uh, and, and so that is what Hebrews is about. And today we talk about a shrinking or... On the other hand, an expanse of faith. Which do we have? If you please stand in reverence to the word of God. Thanks so very much for reading for us this morning. Dear Shirley, go.
0: For if we go on sinning will willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses how much more severe punishment do you think he, he will deserve who has trampled on the, foot the son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sac- sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizures of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet a little while, For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Dear Lord God, we just want to say thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit today, Father. We ask you, oh Lord God, to give the man of God clarity of speech, Lord God, and thought. Father, let the word have an anointing that pierces the hearts of the people, Lord God, and helps us to live a life that is holy and pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we'll glorify you and give you all the praise for it, for we are thankful, Lord God. Thank you for everything, Father, in the name of Jesus We give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Wonderful. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, Mary was gone this week, which meant I was in the house alone. Because she and Isaiah went up to St. Louis for a basketball tournament. I was left in this big, creaky house alone. I never knew how creaky it was. It says, Don, what was that noise? What was that noise? Uh, Anyway. So I was there all alone, and about Saturday or so, which was yesterday, about mid-afternoon, I'd had enough. i got to get out of here. And so you know how bad it is when I'm about ready to pay good money for a liquid that I deplore, which would be coffee. I paid $3.51, so actually a dollar tip, so two fifty-one plus a tip for this. I mean, that's how bad it was in my house. I had to get out, had to go somewhere. So I'm sitting there in a coffee shop and uh, trying to work on this sermon. And in walks... My son, Elijah, he's been working at Foundry. They're about ready to move into a new facility, so they've been working away. And uh, he, uh, he walks in and says, hey, son, have a seat. So he sits down. He says, so what are you doing, Dad? I say, well, I'm working on my sermon. What are you working on your sermon? Well, I'm doing a shrinking theme this week. And uh, so I need, a, I need an illustration about shrinking. He says, oh, that's easy. I said, it is? I've been, been racking my brain for an hour. I say, yeah, that's easy. Remember that one time, the one thing that happened to you? thinking, oh, man, why do you remember stuff like this? So the, here, here, here it was. Uh, and by the way, Molly walked in eventually, too. So Molly, so tell it to Molly, tell it to Molly. Oh, Mo. okay, so this, here's the deal. Uh, back when I was an athlete at the University of Kansas, uh, they did a bunch of tests and, uh, on certain athletes that had made a certain level to try to figure out if they could uh, predict human potential and at the end of that they said they would have they would have interviews with all of us and tell us exactly what had happened uh, the results so uh, the doctor says okay good news and bad news I said okay what's the good news he says you're still alive <laughs> he wasn't kidding he had this deadpan face I said Yay. what's the bad news he says you won't be in your early adulthood if you don't take care of your lifestyle now that was that is to say all the things I've been eating all the things I hadn't been doing. Uh, I, w- I thought I was a pillar of health because I was a, an athlete. He says, no, you're not doing right. Well, So go forward now, I don't know, maybe 20 years, and I'm out of college now, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm in my house, and all of a sudden, I start feeling pains in my chest, like really sharp pains. I'm thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. You know, the big one, right? Uh, here it comes. And I, I'm telling Mary, you know, I, I got these pains, and pretty soon she's had enough. Now, I did something. I, I let my wife do something to me that no self-respecting man here would do. I went to the doctor, okay? He's <laughs> don't do that. You know, you know just, but, but, but Mary wants me to go, and all right, all right, all right. So we're sitting in the doctor's office. They, they run all the tests, you know, blood tests, uh, you know, X-ray tests, everything they could run. They, they do all these tests. Come back and say, okay, uh, I think we discover what's wrong. I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I've wrecked my body. I'm sorry that I didn't pay attention. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So what is it, doctor? And he says, well, did you used to be an athlete? Well, first off, I'm kind of ticked off with that. the I mean, way I used to be. <laughs> but yeah, I used to be an athlete. He says, uh-huh, uh, I bet you lift a lot of weights, right? Yeah, lift a lot of weights. He says, well, then I think I know what this is. There's nothing on the test that would indicate that you're having chest pains, but this kind of thing happens frequently to former athletes that, you know, used to lift a lot of weights. I said, yeah, what is it? He says, well, he says, in and around your chest cavity, you had a lot of muscles, and now, get a load of this now, they are atrophying. The muscles are shrinking, and your body, for whatever reason, it happens sometimes. Not everybody, but apparently it happens. It causes great pain as your muscles are shrinking. I said, get out. He says, that's what I'm telling you. Get out. And so I walked out of his office thinking, huh, my body's shrinking. And there you go. Who here wants a shrinking body? I mean, I do all my waistline. But I don't want to have a shrinking spiritual life. And, and, and I think the Lord says, if you notice the last few verses here, it says, don't shrink back. Be a man of faith. Be a woman of faith. Don't shrink back. We are not a shrink back people. We are not shrinkers. We are people of faith that get larger. Our God is an expansive God, and we ought to have expansive lives. Amen. And so this whole thing has kind of captured me, this whole shrink back thing. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Root of the Righteous, which I read way back before seminary. Great book. He said, the widest thing in the universe, it's not space. It's the potential capacity of the human heart. Being made in the image of God, it that heart is capable of almost unlimited extension in all directions. And one of the world's greatest tragedies is we allow our hearts to shrink until there is no room in them for little besides ourselves. A.W. Tozer says, don't be small, get large. And the way you do that is you understand your large God. I looked up the word shrink. It means, in the Greek, it means timidly and stealthily. I like that word stealthily. I haven't said that one for a while. Timidly and stealthily means you're trying to do it quiet so no one can see. I'm trying to retreat. I'm trying to get out of here so no one can see. I'm trying to shrink back. I'm shrinking so no one can see. And folks, that is not the faith of a New Testament disciple. That's not the faith of a day spring disciple. God has called us to much more. And on our 18th birthday, we ought to recognize, oh my goodness, (laughs) think about 18 a minute. Whoa, we're legal. But now we can enlist like we've never enlisted before to do what? (laughs) To get in the fight for our God. Our God is a big God that has big responsibilities for us. Let us worship this big God and let us do what he wants us to do. Let's live like he wants us to live. Let's love, like we've sung in a couple songs this morning, let's love like he wants us to love. That is the vision, I believe, of the entire New Testament, the entire Bible, and certainly what the writer to Hebrews is trying to get to. A life of shrinkage or a life of faith and expansion. We cannot shrink back to destruction. So, what the first paragraph talks about. Let's not shrink back to destruction. Expansion of faith leads us to greater reward. It even leads us to heaven. But shrinking back has already been variously described in Hebrews. If you go back to chapter 2, we, 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 we call this whole series drifting away. That's just another way to say shrink. Drifting away hardening our hearts in three, eight; falling short in 4, falling away in 6, throwing away our confidence in this chapter, and not persevering in this chapter. All those things are what it means to shrink, shrink away. Now, John Ortbrook says it's against this backdrop that the writers of Scripture never tire of telling us that we do not live with a little tribal God. Whatever we need, God is bigger than our tribe. Whatever our weakness, God is stronger than simply our tribe. Now, here's the point. Back in in the ancient Near East, every tribe had their own God. You got your God, you got your God, you got your God. And when we go to fight each other, guess what? Our gods are really fighting each other. And so they are all got their little tribal gods. And the thought was, that's all he's God of, is our tribe. He's not God of the world. There was no such thing as God of the world until Yahweh shows up and starts revealing himself. And he says, oh yeah, I'm God of it all. And you need to know that means I'm God of all of your tribe, all of your nation, all of the world, and most particularly, I'm God of all your life. And there we have it. The message for Hebrews for us today is simply, Let God be God. And if he's a little tribal God, then guess what? This little tribal God is going to be timid. He's going to be manageable. And by the way, I believe that's the biggest problem with evangelical America. We want a God that we can manage. We want a God that we can manipulate. We want a God that we can control. Amen? And yet this God says, no, I'll have none of that. That is not me. Listen, if you've got a God that you can manage and you're going to sin willfully, First sentence out of Shirley's mouth, sin willfully. Why wouldn't you, little tribal God? It's no big deal. But if our God is that big, if our God is that great, it is a big deal. It says here, if we have a little tribal God, then we will disregard his amazing gift of shed blood for our lives. We're going to celebrate communion today. If we have a small tribal God, then this body and this blood mean nothing. But if our God is the God of the universe, this body, this blood mean everything for our lives. And so, this God, this expansive God in the second paragraph that Shirley read, we know that if he is expansive, then we can deal with any suffering that comes our way. And suffering, says this paragraph, came two ways. First off, it came because they were making a public spectacle out of us. And what the writer of Hebrews says, even when they make us a public joke, we can know we are steadfast and faithful, and really, that's all that matters. Furthermore, suffering was happened because we looked at others who were suffering and decided we want to join with them in their suffering just so we can be yoke fellows with them. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, our God is big enough to help us through our suffering. Our God wants us to show sympathy to the prisoner. says it right there in Hebrews. Our God wants us to accept joyfully unjust behavior (laughs) that's cast at our lives. Boy, unjust behavior. Listen, because they were Jewish Christians in Rome, what they were doing was taking their stuff and taking it for themselves. And when they took it, what the Jewish Christian was able to do was say, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We get the opportunity to suffer like Jesus suffered. They can take our stuff, but they can't take our heart for God. And they were able to say, even when something unjust happens, now think about that. Is your God that big? Anything unjust happened to you this year? How'd it make you feel? That makes me mad. I want to write a letter to the editor. I want to strike out and make a phone call. I want to go yell at somebody. I want to go storm around. I am mad. I deserve more than this. And the Jewish Christians would say, you know, we don't. We don't deserve more than this. We have been counted worthy of suffering like Jesus. Praise God. Boy, now that's a big God that can help you have an attitude like that. Amen. And then this, you can have hope. Remember last week we talked about the Frederick Watts painting? Uh, it had a woman blindfolded on top of a globe and had a lyre. And if you will notice, that lyre has one string on it. One string. It's supposed to have dozens of strings. It has one string. And the, George Frederick Watts called that hope. The, the painting is called hope. Because if you have one string left, you'll be amazed how Jesus can play an incredible tune on that one string. And so, that's the kind of life we can have if our God is big. Now Mary used to read to the children. and In fact, I got so turned on by the books, I said, hey, let's read them again. So I started reading them at dinner time at the Freedomman House. Uh, and we would read through the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And by the way, some people say, well, there's children's stories. I don't think I want to do children's stories. And C.S. Lewis, who was one of the greatest intellects of the 21st century, said this, uh, the 20th century, he said, any children's story that does not appeal to an adult isn't much of a children's story. So he wrote these, and I guarantee you there are scholars today with PhDs and multiple degrees that are still trying to figure out what do you think he meant by that? That's incredible. What a great insight about God. One of my favorite little things in the Chronicles of Narnia is in the book, and there's six of them, called Prince Caspian. And in that book, Lucy, who's this girl that, she's kind of like the John in the Bible, had a special relationship with Jesus. This special love between Lucy and Aslan. Aslan is the lion, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea, but he's the Messiah figure. So you have Aslan, who's the Jesus figure in these stories, and Lucy, who sees Aslan and hadn't seen him for some time. And this is how the dialogue goes. <laughs> By the way, when, when I read the stories, I'd always put on an Aslan voice. I know it sounds silly to you, but... Welcome. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. My mentor, who I get together with on Fridays, said, I had a birthday this week, Matt. I said, you did, Crawford? I said, How old? He says, 76. I said, wow, that's great. He says, it is? (laughs) I mean, who wants to get older? Unless that's what happens. As we grow, as we get older, our God gets bigger. Not because he is. It's just that we can see him as bigger. Because we are one year older. We are one month older. We are one week, one day. We are one hour older. Our God gets bigger. And our God gets bigger, and that means he is more capable of things. We never dreamed that he could do when we were just 18 years old. Now that we're 78 years old, we can see what he's capable of. Things we never imagined. And that's our God. It seems to be that we can have a shrinking faith or we can have a life of faith. A shrinking faith or in a life of expanse. Not only about you all, I want Dayspring to have an expansive next 10 years, don't you? I want you to have an expansive next 10 years, don't you? I want your family to have an expansive next 10 years, don't you? Well, that is, then let me see God as He really is. Not how I've made Him to be. I want to get a fresh, a clear, a new vision for this God. Back to Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God our religion is weak because our God is weak Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her concept of God what is yours today is your God a really big God is your God getting bigger is your God the God of expanse or is he the God of shrinkage Remember, I said, uh, I don't think I'm going to have Elijah help me out with any more sermons if he's going to bring that kind of stuff up. So instead of going to Elijah, I just went to my computer. I went to my computer and put in the word big. I just want to know big. What's big? And it led me to this little thing by Peter Edwards. Dr. Edwards is an astronomer. And this is the illustration I got for big. He explains the majesty of the universe. He says, you know, we're we're happy with the size of an elephant. We can get our human mind around elephant big. We can get our human mind around football field big. We can get our human mind around going down to downtown and seeing the Capitol building and think, man, this is a big building. But we can't think big as in how big is the universe. We can't even get big to think how big is our galaxy. And so Dr. Edwards was asked, well, how big is it? I'd like to know. And so this is what he says. He has this Hubble telescope, and he says, let's point it in a particular direction, which we do. And he says, "Okay, just imagine this. Can you do something silly with me right now? Could you extend your arm and put your finger out there like this? Now imagine there's one grain of sand, one grain, out there on the edge of your finger. Can you see it? Okay, imagine now, imagine what that grain is hiding. And so they decided, let's find, with our Hubble telescope, what's behind that grain, okay? And behind that grain, they found an extraordinary amount of stuff. Behind that grain, it's an illustration, but behind that grain, this is what they had. 10,000 galaxies in a patch of sky the size of a grain. 10,000 galaxies. If this tiny patch of sky is like every other, we think we can probably calculate how many galaxies are visible. The visible universe contains about 100 billion galaxies. Now, I read an interesting article about uh, the Obama presidential team back when. They, they, did some, uh, they did some research to find out that Americans really don't know the difference between a million a billion, and a trillion. We don't know the difference. So when you throw out these numbers, you know we're $20 trillion in debt. If they have said $20 million, we wouldn't really know the difference. All we know is that's a lot of money. But we don't really know what they're talking about. Well, <laughs> he says, listen now, 100 billion galaxies. So think about that. And there are 100 billion stars per galaxy. So what are we talking about? In the visible universe, and there's a lot we can't see. But what we can see from the Hubble telescope there are 10,000 million, million, million stars. There are more stars in the visible universe than there are, than there are grains of sand on the earth. Now, th- th- think about that. Next time you're at that glorious beach, Biloxi, go out on that glorious beach and grab some sand and think, how many grains are there in just that? And just think about how much sand there is there in the, in the world. And then think, hey, doesn't even touch what we know is in the visible universe. Now, here's the point. Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is bigger than that. Amen. In fact, Jesus created the whole thing. It's an amazing thing. And so when I ask, how big is your God? Is he that big? I got to tell you, he may have any dreams. You ever dream? He may have any bad dreams. Oh, I'm major in bad dreams. But well, when I was a kid, I used to have a bad dream of big stuff, just big thing, big machinery going bam, bam, bam. I'm just almost developed a phobia of big stuff. Guess there's such a thing as a uh, megalophobia. Megalophobia is the fear of big things. I thought, you know, I don't know that I have that, but I I get it. I get how you can be fearful of big things. So they say if you have megalophobia, or what I think I generally do have is zoophobia, I'm scared of animals. So if I have zoophobia, I probably ought to go to a psychologist, and the psychologist will put on his uh, glasses, and the psychologist will say, so mad. Tell me your problem. Well, I'm scared of animals. Well, I was bitten when I was a kid. And I got this crazy cat lives next door. and Man, he couldn't even pet that cat. He'd claw you. Know? I, just, I don't like animals. I scare them. In fact, all my Dayspring friends ask me to come over to their house. They say, oh, don't mind little Toby. He loves people. And there's animals all over me thinking, oh, get away, get away. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to go out of my car. Mary's calling. There's an emergency at home. Got to go. So just FYI, keep Toby away from me, okay? Can you do that? Sure, I love the dog from a distance. <laughs> That's zoophobia. So, Matt, what is our bad animals? Let's talk about it. And then, the psychologist is supposed to help me get over this fear of animals, or this fear of big stuff. Now, I had to look it up. Megalophobia is the fear of big things. I, I wanted to make up a new word. We're going to. Uh, we're going ahead and. Uh, we're going to get a copyright on this word, Dayspring Will. It's megalotheophobia is a fear of God. There is such a thing. This is the fear of a big God. Now, why would anybody fear a big God? Because if he's really that big, if he's bigger than 100 million, million, million stars, wow, if I ask that God into my heart, I think he's going to squeeze me out. I mean, there's reasons to fear a big God. If he's really that big, he must want all of me. If he's really that big, that means he must really be consequential. And I'm not so sure I want a consequential. I want a God. <laughs> you ever heard of Wilbur Reese? He says, give me $3 a God. Not enough to destroy my soul, disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or sleep in the sunshine. I don't want enough to make me love someone of another race. I don't want enough to make me go pick beets with a migrant worker. Just give me $3 of God in a paper sack, please. And that's how a lot of us accept Jesus. We want just enough to get us over our addiction. We want just enough to get us through this mess I'm in. Just enough to get me through my financial difficulties. Just enough to take care of my family. But do we want him so much that whatever he wants, that's what I want. Wherever he wants me to go, that's what I'll go. Whatever he wants me to love, that's what I'll love. Whatever he wants me to give, that's what I'm going to give. Your God's a big God. So someone would say, so Matt, tell me, why do you fear a big God? Jesus didn't try to rationalize it. He didn't say, I'm not that big. He didn't say, my Father in heaven, he's, he's not that big. He's, he's manageable. Just, just accept him. He's manageable. It's not what Jesus did. This this is what Jesus did. This God that created a hundred million, million, million stars. This God of a hundred billion galaxies that we can see. (laughs) Who knows what we can't see? This God. According to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, emptied himself. He says, you know, They might not be able to understand the God of a hundred million, million, million stars. Let me make myself understandable. And he emptied himself, and he came as a little fetus, a little embryo in the womb. When he finally came out of that womb, for 30 years, we hear almost nothing about him. Now, this is God's on earth. God has landed. God has feet on the ground, and we don't even know it. We've got one little instance when he's age 12, but that's it. And then when he's 30, he starts teaching. And when he starts teaching, we get so ticked off at him, we murder him. This God of 100 million, million, million stars, we killed him. We broke his body. We shed his blood. That's what we did to the 100 million, million, million star God. And so the question today is simple, it's profound. And Jesus wants us to face up to this simple little challenge out of the 10th chapter of Hebrews. He says, I was broken. I bled for you so that you might never shrink.